So if you have your Bibles, Revelation 21 is where we're going to sit for most of our time. We're going to look uh, at the end of Revelation 22. Um, and man, what we've done, coming on the, the, this is the fourth week of Advent, is we've looked at, man, the reality that Christ has come and He will come again. And so in the first two weeks, what we said is we said, hey, this is the story of Jesus' coming. And so we looked at that long list of names in his genealogy. We looked at the story of his birth. And then uh, last week, uh, Jeremy began to just dive into what does it look like when Jesus returns? And we saw the story of the white horse. And today, uh, man, we are just going to close it all out by looking at the hope found in the return of Christ that brings about the restoration and renewal of all things. But one more thing really quickly, okay, is y'all know that, man, one of our values here is we want to cultivate biblical community. So we talk about it all the time. Uh, We should be talking about it all the time. But that's one of our uh, four values is we want to be a people that cultivate biblical community. And man, uh, that's one of the greatest graces I believe that we have as a church. And so with that, I would be remiss if I did not celebrate a little bit when we have a birthday in the room. And so we got Josh Strong here today. Uh, It is his birthday. Uh, And so, man, Josh, we are grateful for you and for your life and what Jesus is doing in and through you. And so we just want to celebrate you today. Uh, So thanks for being here, Josh. That's in my notes, too. So it's not like I saw you and was like, I'm going to get you. I've I've wanted to get you for a long time. Uh, And uh, today was the day. So if you have a birthday on Sunday, don't be on Facebook uh, because I'm going to know. But with that. I want us to begin our time by sitting uh, in some honesty this morning. Maybe hearing that, you're like, well, Kyle, aren't we always supposed to be an honest people? And I say, yes. We don't want to be a deceitful people, a lying people. We want to be honest, but I want to sit in some specific honesty today. And so this is what I want each of us to sit in. If we're honest, and again, this is a safe place. We say this is a place where it's okay To not be okay, we just don't want you to stay there. But if we're honest, and we find ourselves, be it in life, or, man, I don't know if you're like me, but specifically during the Advent and Christmas season, I find myself filled with hope that at times feels less than hopeful. You feel that in the midst of all the things that are going on around you right now? There's moments of great hope, but you just feel there's this, ten- there's this tension where things feel a little less than hopeful. Maybe a better way to express that is that in life, we're all faced with moments of great hope. But in the midst, we're threatened, we're tempted to allow the fear of being let down, the fear of failure, or the fear that the fallen world is going to steal some of our hope. Y'all feel that? Like maybe for you, like as you're wrestling through the Christmas season, maybe one of your great hopes is for a certain gift. But what happens if you don't get it? Maybe your hope is for uh, just your expectations to be fulfilled, right? For dinner to get on the plate at the right time. For family members not to be uh, difficult or awkward or uh, uh, for relational aspects of things to go okay. But it hasn't worked out in previous years, so you have little hope that it will this year. Maybe it's the time. Maybe you want everything to go perfect. 
maybe in the midst of what seems like a month off from school, that your hope is that your kids will not drive you crazy, nor you them. And so in the midst of this, as we sit in this, as we honestly assess our own hearts, why do we hope? Now, I heard a story this week. Uh, last week, I was watching, Haley and I were watching a show that we watch a lot of times. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Hometown Home Renovation Show on HGTV. We love it. Uh, and they did a Christmas special. And so we're watching this Christmas special and they're talking around the table at dinner. And, and uh, they began to share one of their favorite aspects of Christmas is that they watch old home videos of Christmas, Right. Remember back in the day in the 90s whenever camcorders came out and they were as big as a truck and you held them on your shoulder and uh, it never really focused, but you just made it work. And so they start talking about these Christmas videos that they would watch uh, and find such joy in. But one of the guys, he's a cousin, he said, man, my favorite video is is the time when I got that one present. And they're like, yes, tell that story. And so he begins to tell this story that looks really hopeful. He said, man, it was Christmas morning and I was about six or seven and the family's around and, and his uncle brings him a gift and he grabs it and it's this massive box and he rips it open and they show the video and his face is just like ecstatic, right? He is most excited he's ever been for a six or seven year old. And he turns the gift around and it's a remote control F-16 jet. And he was like, oh my gosh, this is the best present I've ever gotten in my life. But then his aunt, who's at the table in real time, says, yeah, but that wasn't your gift. It was your older brother's gift. And so what you see on the video is he's excited. And then the uncle gets up because he's told by the aunt, hey, that's the wrong present. You should have given it to him. Go take it away from him. And so the uncle gets up and he just rips the gift out of this little kid's hands. And you see all the hope leave his face, right? But he's given another gift. And I mean, any young kid, even for me as a 36-year-old, if I get a gift, I'm excited to unwrap it. And so you can see he's working himself up and saying, man, maybe this gift will be just as good, if not better. I mean, but how much better can you get than a remote control F-16? And so he opens it up and all he sees is that JCPenney white rectangular box. And his hope fades a little, but maybe, just maybe, There's something really good in it. And then he says, and I opened it up and it was a sweater. To which his aunt, who's sitting next to him in the video, she says, yes, but it was a really nice name brand sweater. And then this man in his mid-30s just reveals that he still has a struggle with this. And he said, yes, I think it had a zipper on it. And I'm just like, look at that, Haley. Like he, he needs some counseling there, right? Like there are some issues because he had such great hope. And then he just feels like he has none. You see, we all have moments of hope that are filled with letdown, do we not? They can be specific or the general reality of life in a broken world. We can get our hopes up. And I believe that this leads us at times to think of Christ's return and the restoration and renewal of all things with limited or at least cautious hope. And we begin to question as we read Revelation, well, will it really be that great? Like, have we been told to hope, but we're only going to be disappointed in the end? Like, is it all going to come and we're going to, we're going to see it and experience it and then it's going to be like, but actually that's not for you. It's not as good as promised. 
Well, according to Scripture, the answer to these two questions are a definite, definitive yes and a definitive no. Yes, it will not only be great, but greater than we can imagine. I think that's one of our issues and problems is that, man, we have a limited scope. Our imagination can only take us so far when we talk about what's going to happen when Jesus returns. How great it's actually going to be. We get to a certain point and we can't think of anything greater. And no, we will not be disappointed. Rather, we will be satisfied in a manner we can't even begin to comprehend. And I believe that there is value in knowing that we are limited in the scope of our imagination and that that's a good, good thing when it comes to Christ's return. Because it's going to be way better than an F-16 jet. It's going to be way better than anything you can imagine. And so here's my goal for today. Really, it's twofold. My goal for today is to call us to hope as followers of Jesus, both in the now and the not yet. And then secondly, for any in the room or any that hear this message who are not following Jesus, that they would turn to the only real hope there is for life, both in the now and the not yet. And may today... No matter what you're walking through, no matter if you, as I shared those aspects of hope, whether it's expectations or gifts or time or experience, and you're already wrestling with that tension, may today you be filled with such a great hope that it overflows into the proclamation of the gospel and how you live, speak, and celebrate that during the Advent season, but to a greater degree in every season. And so let's begin by reading Revelation 21. We're going to begin by looking at verses 1 through 3. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So today as we look at Revelation 21 and the end of 22, what I want to do is note a few things up front. First, these chapters work together with Genesis 1 through 3 to bookend the story of redemption that finds its apex in the sinless life, sacrificial death and victorious resurrection of Jesus. You see, what began in Genesis now finds its culmination in these verses. All that God has promised from the beginning will be fulfilled. He will not leave one piece untouched. All will be filled with love, joy, peace, and great hope. Next, these things we're going to work through today are deep. And while we might not be fully able to grasp the breadth of them I believe that we do experience glimpses of them already now. And so not all that we work through today is unknown. Rather, it is just a foretaste of the glory that will one day fully come. And then one more thing before diving in. These verses of restoration and redemption follow the final blow to Satan and all evil in chapter 20. So don't miss that. They are no more at this moment. 
never to return. And again, in talking about Christ's return and the restoration of all things, again, that's just another limiting factor because we can't, we don't really have a grid for that. Because we all still struggle with the presence of sin. We all still struggle with the reality of brokenness. But in this moment, in the text, it's no more. So what we get in verse 1 is the final I saw in Revelation. All throughout the book of Revelation, John the writer, he says, I saw. And then he writes what he saw. I saw. But then we get the final one here. One writer argues uh, that, that this I saw, that this portion of Revelation is actually the point that this entire book is leading to. You see, the focus of all of Revelation is actually taking to us to this moment. But you see, I think one of the problems, especially when it comes to Revelation, is that, that, that we get so stuck elsewhere in the book that we forget about this part of the book. We're so worried about when's, what's going to happen when and how that's going to happen. And if your view is different from my view and why I don't like this view or that view. And in the midst of the weeds, we miss the reality of what's to come. So what we see first is the restoration of both creation and communion. And so let's look at these two modes of restoration, beginning with creation. You see, what we find coming down is a new heaven and a new earth. For the old has passed away, the new has come, and the sea is no more. So the word here for new means to be remade. See, what's happening in this moment is a remade and renewed heaven and earth. Another way to say this is that, is that all that we've loved about creation that is good, all of that is here, but without the curse of sin. It is Eden, but better. The groaning of creation that we see in Romans is no more. All is made new. Abraham Kuyper says this so well. In talking about this restoration of creation, he says there is not a square inch in the whole domain of the human existence, which includes creation and the cosmos, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And so just take a moment to think about what that'll be like. Again, I believe we can only go so far because no matter how far our imagination can take us, at the end of the day, it isn't far enough. And that is good, and that should bring hope. The beauty, the glory, the colors, the landscape, all restored to be more beautiful than the eye has ever seen, than the ear has ever heard, the mouth has ever tasted, the nose has ever smelled, and that touch has ever felt. This is what's taking place in verse 1. The restoration of creation. But there's one more thing that happens in this text that I want to address quickly. It says that the sea is no more. And so what I believe in line with other scholars is that no more sea does not mean no more literal water. Because guess what? Water was a part of the original creation. So there will be fishing in heaven. <laughs> Amen? Amen. You're a surfer. <laughs> what it means there in talking about the sea 
is that it symbolizes the chaos and brokenness that the, all throughout Scripture when the sea is talked about, it's, it, it, it's chaos and brokenness and disorder. And so here in this moment, it's symbolizing that that is gone. There is no more chaos. There is no more brokenness. There is order. Next, we see a new Jerusalem coming down, adorned as a bride prepared for her husband, who is Jesus. This bride is expounded upon later in the chapter, but for the sake of time, all I'm going to say is that the new Jerusalem is both a place and a people. We are the bride of Christ, the church, and we will come together in face-to-face union with Jesus. Like, like just think uh, if you've been, been to a wedding recently, or maybe at your own wedding if you, were, if you are married, or were married. I mean, I remember... That moment when the doors opened and I saw my bride Haley for the first time. Dressed and adorned in beauty. I remember standing there and as the music started, even before the doors were open, I just started blubbering and crying. It's like, what's going on? What is happening in this moment? And the doors opened and man, the real waterworks came out and I was like, I can't stop this. Like everybody afterwards was like, you were ugly crying. I was like, yeah, I couldn't stop. You see, I, I believe I, I cried like a baby in joy. But also in that moment, what I realized is also there was a tinge of grief there as well. I had hope. Hope for what the future held as I would spend the rest of my life with my wife. Excited about what God would do, but also there was a tinge of sorrow because the one person I wanted to be there was not. Do you see what we have here in the text is when this happens, there is no tinge of sorrow. There is only joy. And so what this does is it leads us to the next restoration found in the text in verse 3, which is the restoration of communion. You see, what we find here in light of this face-to-face union is God dwelling fully with His people. You see, God's dwelling place is with His people. I love what J.D. Greer says about this text. He says, heaven is where God and His people are reunited together. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and He, their God. The, The picture here is the consummation of the redemptive story. For God dwelt with man until the fall. And then from then on, man has spent one's life either trying to be God or seeking to get back into right relationship with God. All throughout the story of Scripture, we see pictures of this from the tabernacle where God's presence resided to the temple that was later built. You see, in all of those pictures... It's always the part, but not the whole. There's always separation. You see, the reality is, is we in and of ourselves cannot make ourselves right before God. We cannot stand in face to face union with him alone. But the good news of the story is that God who promised that He would do this all the way in Genesis 3, who we see through Abraham's story, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through David, Solomon, the prophets, speak 
of one to come. And God who promised it would come and put on flesh and He, as John 1 said, would dwell among us. You see, everything from Scripture is pointing to John 1 when (laughs) the Word would put on flesh and dwell among us, live a sinless life, die the death of a sinner, rise in victory, uh, (laughs) return to heaven, uh, and, and He is returning again. In Revelation 21. You see, it's here that we get another reality of the now, but the not yet. You see, because now all followers of Jesus carry the Spirit of God within us. You see, the not yet or what will be is that God will dwell and commune with His people face to face. The veil has already been torn. There will be no temple because there is no need for another sacrifice. Jesus is enough. I love what it says later in Revelation that He will be our light and we will be with Him. One more thing here. The word for people there is plural. It's peoples where uh, we, the word there is ethnos where we get the word ethnicity. It's nations for them. And so what we see here is a descriptor of the nations. Our communion with God will be a multi-ethnic and multicultural event. And it will be very good. Following this restoration of creation and communion, we then see in the text the redemption of brokenness that came with the fall and the ultimate reality and hope for every follower of Jesus. And so let me read uh, Revelation 21 verses 4 through 8. It says this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So not only... Will creation and communion be restored, but all that came with the fall will cease to exist. Again, I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to fully comprehend. It sounds really good. I have no grid for it. You see, also, if we're honest, man, it's hard to find hope in that at times, right? We read these amazing verses about Him wiping away every tear and death being no more and no mourning, no crying, no pain. And it can be hard for us to have hope in that. I think that can be our general reality, but also specifically during the holidays, right? Like the holidays like are hard. They're hard in different ways for everyone. So something I've realized in my own life, and it took me a few years to realize this, but starting about 2011, man, December is a really, really hard month for me. 
I kept wondering, like, each and every year, it's like December would come around, I would notice it, and I'd be like, why am I, de- like, why do I have the blues? Like, why do I keep crying? Or why, why do I feel, like, just depressed and lethargic and, and in the midst of all this stuff? And, yeah, I'm kind of the Grinch, but I don't think that's really it. And then I realized it's because it's a hard season because of grief and loss. You see, so much of what I once had, now because of destiny, I have no more. I want you to hear me correctly. Like what I have, I love. Like what I have now, I love. But I miss time with family that I grew up with. I miss my mom's smile. And the joy she had as I opened presents. While also fighting disappointment. Because for some reason she never got me anything I wanted. But only what she wanted me to have. I miss my Grammy always worrying about everything. I miss my uncle sharing the same stories every single year. I miss my aunt never knowing what was going on, but always wanting to be in the middle of everything. I miss my pop laying back and taking naps with a newspaper as a blanket. Always a newspaper, no matter how many blankets we got him for Christmas. Like, I miss those things. And in some way, and in certain moments, it can make hope feel hard. Maybe you feel the same today. Maybe for you, like that issue is loss. Like this Christmas season is just hard. Because in the midst of it, there's loss. Maybe for you it's hard because expectations aren't met. Be the ones that you have or that others have for you. Maybe it's hard because of relational strife or sin. Maybe it's hard because of shame or whatever it is. Like these things create a problem. You see, it's a problem that's answered with the hope of Christ's comfort both now. Because guess what? It says that he draws near to the brokenhearted. But it's also a hope to come and that one day, in the words of Tolkien, every sad thing on earth will come untrue. Sin's punishment has already been taken care of at the cross, but now the presence and pain of it will be no more. Sadness, death, sickness, despair, sin, calamity will be no more. Like, think on that. Again, I don't know that I have a full grid for it, but I long for it. And so while this season and many seasons through life are hard, we have a a hope to hold on to. For one day these things will be no more. And Jesus, as it says in verse 4, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. I love what Paul Tripp says about this. He tells the story that when this happened, that Jesus would literally go person by person and say, you don't have to cry anymore. There's no more death. He wipes away our tears. I love that it's described as the wiping away of tears because to me it shows that Jesus cares. You see, Jesus doesn't just return and say, hey, dry it up, I fixed it all. Rather, it's real care because He's near to our brokenness, but He's not just near. He is redeeming all that is broken. 
Death has no more sting. Hades has no more victory. Hope is fully seen and experienced. We see this in verses 5 and 6. For Jesus makes all things new. But look at how he does it. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. And then he says, oh, also write this down. It's done. <laughs> like just, he's leading into it. And you're like, okay, tell me how it's all. Been. He's like, no, it's done. Boom. That's it. He says, I'm, he, you know, what was finished at the cross is now done at his return. He is the authoritative alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, and the one that we are to run to for the quenching of our thirst. And so today, stop running to the broken cisterns that provide no hope, be it in this season or any season. Look to Jesus who is all in all, the living water that makes us never thirst again, but also overflows from us. As living water to the world around us that is dying of thirst. What we see that follows is both an invitation and a warning in this text. In light of all that's happened. It's an invitation that is filled with persevering hope. A great hope that holds on to the assurance That he is making all things new no matter the circumstance. For by him we will have our heritage. Which is to be with him face to face for all eternity. But it's also a warning that leads to an invitation and requires a response. He says for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars will be separated from hope forever. And when they're separated from hope, like all will then be hopeless. And so today, if that's you, I implore you, today is the day for salvation. Don't wait until tomorrow. Turn to the hope of Jesus now, for tomorrow is not promised. And if you don't believe me, uh, just let me close with verses 20 and 21 from Revelation 22, because it's an invitation to hope that is expounded upon for the believer and the unbeliever alike. It says this, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I'm coming soon. That's actually the third time in Revelation 22 that you see that stated. And it's here at the end of the story of redemption that we get a twofold invitation. First, for the unbeliever. Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when, but He will be here sooner today than He was yesterday. It's just the way math works. But that is our reality. So again, today is your invitation to turn to Him for salvation, life, and hope. There is no other way by which you can be saved. But second, we get an invitation to the believer. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That invitation, that that statement there means that we have great hope. I don't know what you're walking walking into this week, but I can say with great confidence that no matter the circumstance and no matter the season, the love, joy, peace, and hope of Christ can see you through every part of it. You see, the thing about this is the second part of that invitation is is to have hope. But the second part of that, guess what, is to go. You are commissioned to tell the whole world that Jesus has come and is coming again. 
Go and tell others He's coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May that be our response today. I have Jeremy come back up, but as we think about responding, man, may our response be simply that. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And so I want to invite you to a couple of things. First, I want to invite you to live into that hope now. Wherever you find yourself as you've wrestled and thought about things that maybe you're hopeful for, but there's that tinge and tension. Man, run to Jesus, hope in Him. So hope now, but live out of that hope as you proclaim the hope of Jesus to others. In that today, take your hopelessness to Jesus. Take it to Him. And as you take it to Him, celebrate in hope. Today, I want to encourage you to share with someone today why you have hope in Christ in the midst of the season that you find yourself in. It's an unbeliever, share it with them. But man, share it with a family member. Share it with your kids. Hey, this is why I have hope in Jesus in the midst of this. Again, Advent's a season of slowing down and remembering. May we do that. And then lastly, I want to invite you to remember that hope through communion. What we remember now and what Jesus has done in the giving of Himself, man, we look forward to the one day when we will have face-to-face communion with Him. When He will be in our presence fully. He will be our God and we will be His people. And so as we share in communion today, I'm going to be up here uh, Eric's going to be up here on the other side and we want to invite you to come and, and, and take the elements if you're a follower of Jesus. And we want you to invite you to, as you uh, take the elements to go and reflect on the hope that is found in Christ and His life, death, and resurrection, but also in His return. And then after everyone's received the elements, I'll lead us through the taking of the elements as we practice what it means to have biblical community together and say, this is what we're about together. Because the story of His return is for every follower. Together, the church, the bride. Today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would ask that you abstain. Not because we want to single you out or anything like that, but because we desire that you understand what this means. And and the, the way we want to see that is by you coming to know Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus today, if you don't have that hope, again, then come talk to me. Go talk to one of our partners and say, how do I have this hope of Christ? And so I'm going to pray for us. And then I want to invite you to come and partake, grab the elements and go back to your seat. And then we'll share in communion together. Jesus, we thank you that you have come and you are coming again. We thank you for the story. Your story. The story of your return. And God, that you come and you make all things new. Every single part. That you restore creation and communion. That that, that you uh, wipe away every tear. That death will be no more. There will be no more sin. 
And God, may today, may that do two things. May that draw us near to hope, for you are our hope. But also, may that send us out in hope, that we might proclaim that hope to others. I say you move now in Jesus' name. Amen.